0: Hello and welcome to Victory Points. I'm Becca Scott. And
1: I'm Jake Michaels. And this
0: is a podcast about people who love tabletop games, interviewing other people who love tabletop games, about the tabletop games they love and create. Breaking the mold. Our guest today (laughs) is going to do his own bio, but I just want to say we have Rob Davio, who is... yes basically a god when it comes to board game design okay now introduce yourself (laughs) and
2: and and in no other ways
0: um disagree
2: yeah i'm rob davio uh what can you say about rob davio he's been in the industry for approximately uh, 20 21 years (laughs) spending 14 years at hasbro before breaking off on his own in 2012 uh, to do solo designs he's a founding partner in restoration games a game company that Reboots and brings back games from the past. He's most known for the legacy games, and over his career, he's probably done eighty to one hundred games that have been in print. Whoa! Uh, he oh. has been a visiting professor teaching in game design. Uh, he's married, lives in Massachusetts, and has two kids. and His hobbies are cooking <laughs> and, and, and cooking. eating, and eating yeah, the yeah, cooking. Yeah, yeah, you should eat the <laughs> cooking. <laughs> and, and eating the cooking.
0: You did such a good job. Thank you. I know, yeah, you you. I, nice I Googled know myself.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I saw you looking at images while you read that. I know. I want to get that part. It was just your own face. You didn't even read the bio. Yeah. Wow.
0: Uh. Well done. So, Rob, I don't even know where to start. Even though we've been talking all day long about your many accomplishments, but um,
1: can we clarify why we think he's a god? And that it's kind of the legacy thing. I think would be one of the defining things. Because we played
0: through betrayal legacy. So,
1: Rob. Yeah. Rob. One of the greatest
0: joys of my life.
1: Yeah. Rob's one of the. Don't tell my
0: husband. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you.
2: We're gonna get you out more. (laughs) So said, actually, thank you. I, I really like am, going am really out. proud of that game. Absolutely, and all the like the the team who put together it's like the at the time biggest project I'd ever worked on. I'm working on Return to Dark Tower for Restoration Games right now, which is more ambitious than Betrayal Legacy was in different ways because it involves electronics and magnets oh. and Bluetooth modules. And are you having apps to teach and, yourself? Uh, no, I, there's that t- sort of thing? international team of people. Wow. working on this.
0: Uh, but you are just more mechanics and lore and flavor?
2: Uh, uh, I'm sort of flavor. being like chief creative on it. I'm doing that's game awesome. design with Isaac Childress, the guy who did Gloomhaven. Like we're doing the design along with some other people. But I'm also, because I'm the chief creative person at Restoration Games, overseeing budget, a little bit of the marketing plan, lore, um, app development.
0: Well, that's really cool that thing. you're you're working with – the designer of Gloomhaven,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which Gloomhaven, I don't know how long he was working on that, but it seems to be influenced by the genre of legacy games mm-hmm. that you
2: created. Yeah, yeah. He calls it a legacy game or legacy elements in it. I mean, it's a campaign game where you put stickers down and kind of chain, shape the world and stuff like that. So um, I think he'd probably been working on the, the system for a while. Although Risk Legacy came out in 2011 and Gloomhaven came out in 2017 2017. What? Something so he it, it was a long
1: time for him to you know play around and be influenced. What right. was like the first legacy game with the name legacy on it was it Risk? It was Risk. Yeah, yeah was, and that uh, was the one, first one with that name, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it was it was going to be maybe Risk Evolution or Risk Revolution or Risk Legacy and we ended up with Legacy cuz it was just a little shorter
1: and easier to to say. What gave what inspired you to make <sighs> a game that way? What to where the where the previous game influenced the future ones?
2: Uh, the actual thing came about because I was at a clue brainstorm. Oh. And one of the things that Hasbro used to do at the time, and I still think it's a great brainstorming thing, is to make assumptions about something you're about to create or do, like a creative project. And you just kind of list all the assumptions and then you go by and see if you can challenge any of them to do something different. And most of the time you can. not For example, when doing a podcast, you might say an assumption that the host does the bio of the guest.
0: That's insane. Who would do that? But you
2: could say, wait a minute, that you don't have to do that. The guest knows it better. Why don't they just do their own bio, right? And so we just mix it up here in a small sort of way. So we were doing that with Clue. And we were going through and saying, um, you know, there has to be a murderer. You know, there has to be suspects. Uh, There's a game board. It takes place in a house. The game board starts open at the beginning of the game. The game board is face up. The game board is on the table, not under it, right? You start naming these really obvious things every once in a while. like, well, what if the game board was under the table? And you go... No, there's nothing there. But it might lead to a different game idea, right? Sure. Where you have a game on the table and a game under the table and you're looking at both at the same time. And sometimes – most of the time it ends up with interesting thoughts but not interesting final ideas. And at some point in there, I said, uh, the actions you do in one game of Clue don't influence the next game of Clue. And I remember my boss who was a big game designer. He did Hero uh, Quest in the 1980s and Battle Masters. Yeah. And top Steve Baker taught me a lot about game design. He was writing on the board – and this won't show up on a podcast, but he stopped and sort of pointed the marker like, Yeah, yeah, that. Oh, <laughs> I, I feel like, something. What is that? You know, what does that mean? What would that be like? And I sort of sat in the brainstorm going like, could it, would it just be like a campaign game? Right. And could you but like what if it really messed it up? Like you put X's on a card and you know, like how many times you've been to jail and I eventually pitched <sighs> clue the usual suspects to Hasbro, which has a lot of the elements that you'd find in risk, you know, later. 10 games, and you get equipment and nemesis, and people go to jail. and Hasbro wanted no part of it, and I don't really blame them. They're like, This is a game for nine year olds. Yeah, like, what what are you doing? Clue's not quite the right. Yeah, what are you doing, (laughs) (laughs) youngster? So I ended up putting it into Risk like six months later, which for Hasbro is the nerdiest and most robust game. Deep dive, and I had done Risk Star Wars, and then with Craig Van Ness, I had done, um, Risk twenty two ten AD. Oh, yeah. And I had done a couple of Risk Lord of the Rings and a couple reboots and
0: no stranger to map games because you didn't access an allies. I didn't access now. I was
2: Pacific and was a developer on Europe. Um so I knew like sort of how to play around in the risk sandbox and, you know, add and take away cards. And so I since I kind of knew how to do a risk game, I could use it to figure out how to do a legacy game with a risk game, you know, engine. And got a lot of support from Craig, as I mentioned, and Steve. And they kept sort of like giving ideas and pushing me to really commit to it. It's like, well, you can't rip up a card. You can't write on them. like, try it. Just try it. <laughs> and I'm like, I know. That's what I want to do, like one way. And I'd be in meetings. And I would say like you put a sticker on the board. And Risk has a sense of real macho posturing. It's a real like, ah, you know. Sure, I, I get it. You know, I play I, a lot. <laughs> and, um, so some of the stuff that later became legacy ideas, like ripping up cards and putting stickers on things, I wouldn't have given myself permission with except I started with it in risk where you are kind of being, ah, take that. I'm going to put this sticker right you on know, this the aggression thing. of the movement. Of war, that you are, yeah, finality. War. Yeah. And uh, I'd go into meetings and the like manufacturing liaisons would be like, oh, we changed the stickers to be resettable. And I'm like, no, I want them to be the stickiest stickers that you have. Like if you take them off and stick them to your arm, they're like, well, but then you can't pick them up. I'm like, yeah, they're like, well, that's not really what you want. I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. And the more people kept saying, well, that's not really what you want you to do, double the more down. I was like,
1: yeah, I do. Isn't it funny how they can't even conceptualize it for a while? Like you have to keep repeating it to them. Like, no, it, I just need it to live on that card forever. And they're like, yeah. but no, <laughs> but that's not <laughs> yeah, what you do. I yeah. Right. Yeah. They can't imagine breaking that boundary or like bending that rule. That's how
0: you know it's good. Yes. Is that part of what made it more exciting to say no or that you were already firmly resolute? No, I, this I felt right. It,
2: yeah, I thought it um, really committed to the idea of not being a campaign but a legacy game that some of the act- – what I say is some of the actions that you do in one game permanently transform future games of that set and that each person's set becomes different and there's no take-backs. Like if you do a choose-your-own-adventure
1: mm-hmm.
2: and you're like go and you're like, oh, it says the end. Yeah, you can
1: go to the other page.
2: Either. Yeah, and you go back. OK. I, I saw the end. I didn't know what it said. Okay, but you I'm gonna keep I'm gonna, your thumb gonna, in the page. You keep your thumb in the <laughs> page yeah. and you go back and I'm like, I don't want that. Like in War, you can't be like, wow – Sorry, big mistake. We're not invading Poland. Our bad. (laughs) Let's undo this. Yeah. get my army back. Yeah. Like that was a bad call. And, you know, video games have this thing when you fail a level, you just keep redoing the level until you get it right. Yeah. That's not how life works. Mm. Right. You make some choices and you can't take them back. And when I was pitching it, I said to him, you know, I could in this meeting and I'd point to the president of the company, punch you in the face. And I said, I would be fired. And I might decide it's a bad idea later, but I can't say, well, I just wanted to try something. But now it's a bad idea and I want to take it back. I'm like, that was a permanent thing. And I said, but in games, we never cause you to make a permanent thing. It's like playing poker for no money. Ooh. Right? Yeah. No and I said, I want people to have their stakes on the table. I want them to know they're going to lose something of value. Like in the marbles back in the 50s, you lost the marble. And in original magic, I think there was yeah. an ante. Oh, that yeah. was crazy you original draft, magic.
0: You, get to, you win. You keep all the rares.
1: Yeah. Pogs were the same way. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, was, I said, there's this
2: tradition in gaming of having to put up an ante. Yes. And I said, you might not even know the consequences of your action. You get up one morning. You get dressed. You're on the subway. A person next to you says, oh, I like your shirt. And then you end up marrying that person. You think, I don't even give any thought to the choice of shirt. And they might not have said anything. And what would have happened in my life? Our whole life is filled with these choices that don't have take backs. I want a game that makes you sweat that same way where you feel like, this counts. This matters, right? I this I'm die chills. roll yes. makes a difference, and I, and that's that's what I sold in for the legacy experience. Now, since then, I've gotten older and mellowed out a little bit. So, <laughs> so,
0: not so hardline.
2: Not so hardline.
0: Now you just do creepy stories about Fenrir, and, Fenrir uh, and dolls with soft eyes. Dolls
1: with soft eyes. I can't stress enough how beneficial it is to the creative process to pick a rule and to change it completely and, or take an assumption and not go by it mm-hmm. right because like you said earlier that you're not you might not com- stay with that assumption in the way you have now but in the creative process you will see where it leads to and that outcome might be something that you keep
2: yeah I, I think it's great i think too many people get caught up in decisions that were made just to go against just what i just said if you can take back a decision like oftentimes when we're in a meeting for something, a game, or restoration. We're like, well, we have A, B, or C. I'm like, or we just do none of them and decide not to do this. Everyone's (laughs) like, well, but we've been planning on this. But before we pick A, B, and C, which all are crappy options, is D, like do none of these and decide it was a bad idea and do something else. And oftentimes it's not. And people are like, why are you being so negative? And I'm like, I'm not. I just don't want to continue on a path that you're going down because, you know, like
1: we don't like any of those outcomes can, and we know it.
2: Yeah. And you can just challenge the assumption. The assumption is, but well, we have to do it because for three months we've been
1: planning. Yes. On. Have you ever read uh, Edward de Bono? Mm-hmm. He's this weird philosopher dude from I think the 60s or maybe even the 50s. But he used to have this idea called Poe. Instead of yes or no, the word was Poe. So if you have to answer yes or no question, try Poe as in don't answer the question, but try to think of a different way to respond to it.
2: Oh, I do that all the time. because my wife nuts? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I, uh, yeah. That actually is a lot of relationship issues now. That I'm realizing it because I love the concept too, because you have to just reframe the question a little bit and maybe you'll come up with an answer you didn't expect, which is the same thing you're talking about.
2: Yeah. Except I'm usually doing it in some sort of jerk sort of way. <laughs> like, what time do you want to leave for the airport tomorrow? And I'll start talking about packing or something. And if she's we like, We walked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, or like, or do we have to leave for the airport like before eight? And then I'll start answering this other question. Like, I just need to know what time I need yeah, to get up. I'm like, like I was answering. I thought what I thought was a better question. You should have asked. (laughs) Let me let you into my head here, which has nothing to do with what you. Yes, we have to leave by eight, right? Like she has, like been. I know you have a story to tell because that's what you do. Can you just answer my question, yes or no?
0: But these, this is the shorthand that you sign up for in a marriage. That's yeah, and truth. I'm making her sure, sound like she's, you know. She this- loves about you, <laughs> except for when it's time to decide when to go to the airport.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've fallen into that bad, like, habit of, like, not wanting to miss a flight and leaving ridiculously early. Like, there's an Onion article. It's like. Local father calculates 13 hours <laughs> yeah. to get to the airport to like just to be sure.
0: Well, half an hour in case our shoes are untied.
3: And then, like, and shoes then, are untied. And then, like, if, what
2: if sometimes there isn't parking? We got to go to long term parking. And once there wasn't long term parking, we had to go to a lot. And then, if the shuttle's like getting a lot, and then the if shuttle we don't,
0: driver gets a sandwich. And
2: yeah, it gets a sandwich. And then, if there isn't a pre check, and I'm trying. So
0: <laughs> you got to do the pre check, though. It's all about the pre check. Oh,
2: pre check is, is everything. Uh, do you have global entry?
0: I'm working on it. You know, it's a big step to go to the airport when you don't need to go to the airport.
2: So my wife is a genius. And one time we had to go to a wedding in San Francisco. I live on the East Coast. And she scheduled us to go through Phoenix with a three-hour layover and scheduled the appointment during the layover.
0: She is a genius. Uh. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. She
2: found an airport that had like the lowest, the shortest lead time to get an appointment, and scheduled the flight through there.
1: She maximized her actions per turn. That's amazing. Oh, she's really good at Zulkin. Oh man,
0: absolutely. Okay, back to games. Um, (laughs) Well, I I like the actually no. Let's go to politics. We should probably talk about (laughs) politics because I like this idea of option D. I think so often we're stuck in the binary of of. Everything that we forget. I just want to plug Universal Basic Income basically because it's my podcast and I can is do that, that. Is that
2: your thing you're pushing these days?
0: Yeah. You know, if we move the Overton window. <sighs> well,
2: we're gonna talk about the Overton window too. This is gonna be a good podcast.
0: <laughs> it's gonna be a three hour episode. Uh what do you think of Universal Basic Income? <laughs>
2: I don't have enough information on it. I think it's intriguing. Didn't some country try it and then move away from it? In Finland, there is a town with
0: 1,000 people. And at the end of 2019, at the end of 2019, we will get the results of this town in Finland. But there was a study in Canada in the 70s that for one year gave everyone a basic income. And then the Canadian government changed, became more conservative, and they said – What are we doing? Let's pull all the funding. Let's also pull the funding for analyzing the research. And so there were just files and files that sat in an administrative building in a storage room somewhere for 40, 50 years, 40 years. And then about 10 years ago, uh, this one researcher she found the boxes and started analyzing the data, and found that everyone's quality of life went up. There was no one that chose to work less. People just chose to do pursue what they wanted to explore, to enrich their lives. Education went up uh, because people would take time off work, maybe, but
1: they because could afford they that to freedom study. too, yeah. right?
0: And it's um, anyway. This is a podcast about board games. <laughs> But, um, yeah,
2: well, anyone who follows me <laughs> on Twitter will know that I go on leftist rants mostly about <laughs> the state of health care in this country. I'm a type 1 diabetic. My brother has a, a oh, treatable yeah. form of, of cancer, but both of which require very expensive treatments, both of which we got through no behavior or anything around. Is I it, wasn't,
1: isn't I, the insulin prices going crazy? Oh, like
2: just the, because they can. But I actually figured out I live relatively close. I live a three-hour yeah, drive from um, Montreal. Yeah. It is cheaper for me twice a year for my wife and I. To drive to Montreal, stay in a nice hotel, go to a nice dinner, buy six months worth of insulin, and drive home than to buy six months of insulin here. Well, you so, don't get the dinner here either. How
0: insane is that? Yeah, like the hotel and the – d- actually, yeah. I
2: think it's even cheaper to do it every three months. And there's no reason to. It's the same insulin I've been taking and it's just gouging. Colder. It's just gouging because people Absol- will die.
0: Because it's unregulated and it's not that – Capitalism doesn't work in it, with rules. Well, it's just like a game without any rules.
2: Well, the idea is that you know if there's multiple people making insulin, then competition will keep the prices down because sure. they want to get it. But if everyone sort of wink-wink concludes to raise prices together, then it
0: then doesn't work. people have to invent the most insane games to be able to <laughs> go to Montreal to get insulin. Yeah. <sighs>
3: okay. All
0: we can, right. We can talk about games. Game. No, we can't. Um, I want to talk about – When you first got started at Hasbro, and if when you first started working on games, if that's exactly where you imagined your life would go, or if you perhaps wanted to be a screenwriter?
2: I want to be a television comedy writer. Mm -hmm. Oh, I actually um, ended up um, hanging out with Saturday Night Live sets in the late 80s, 89 into 90, partied with the kids in the hall in Toronto, (laughs) like till four in the morning in in Toronto.
0: Tons of cocaine. Uh,
2: Just kidding. Not around me. I mean, it might have been around me. I didn't see it.
0: Oh, man. In all the biographies of uh, people who've left SNL. Oh, SNL? Yeah, I thought
2: you meant kids in the hall.
0: Oh, no. Kids in the hall. They're good kids. They're
2: good kids. Yeah. Well, they're good middle, late middle-aged men now. (laughs) Sure. Um, No, that was fun to hang out with them. Um, That's awesome. No, they kept me. I wasn't. I was in the writer's room. I was talking. And then um, Hasbro is more cocaine now, right?
0: Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's where I get mine. Yeah,
2: yeah. My little eight ball.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the show will never have any sponsors. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Shout out to Cocaine, sponsor <laughs> of the show. It's so absurd <laughs> that everyone knows it's not true.
0: Marlboro uh, Cocaine, the best cocaine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sponsored by Coke. <laughs> um Yeah, so I wanted to be a television writer. I ended up... Conan O'Brien was hanging out in my living room, and in college, like I had everything all set up to to go, and I became an intern with David Letterman at his show at NBC, right when Carson was retiring and stuff. And uh, I was talking to William Morris to get a you know agent to write, and wrote a Simpsons spec script back when the Simpsons was starting up. And then, man, did I hate New York and Los Angeles and television and the gig industry and the nature of chasing SAG vultures and all of this. I'm speaking the truth. That was an intense event then too. Do you see our
0: our nods slowly (laughs) increase more and more?
3: Um,
2: Yeah. Yeah. New York's a little too big for me and Los Angeles a little too spread out for me.
0: You don't like the traffic.
2: I don't. I don't like the traffic. And I like it a little less now that I haven't had to deal with it or something. I just realized like I liked comedy and I like storytelling and I like television, but I didn't like the industry that I'd have to be in to do it. And at the time Letterman writers had 13 week contracts. Like just that's come. so short Yeah, for and, an
0: ongoing show.
2: An ongoing show. And so most people would be fine and go a year or two or then you get in and you're fine. But some people come in 13 weeks and sh- cut you know, the next person.
0: After you've uprooted your life to move.
2: Well, they all just graduated from Harvard the year before. And when I realized I didn't go to Harvard and so therefore I wasn't going to be a television comedy writer. And that's what I should have done. And I was four years too late in making my decision of trying to get into Harvard. I kind of just bailed on it. Most of the time I'm fine with it because I've had a fun job. but.
3: Tina Fey's
2: my age, yeah, and um, who was it? There's someone else on Saturday Night Live. Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler, who um, is like a year younger than me, who was in Boston. We actually, I realized just the other week that we were at a comedy. I organized a comedy, sketch comedy, improv comedy review at my college. I went to Tufts and invited Boston College. So did my mom. Oh, -hmm. there we go. Hopefully not at the same time. I hope I'm not that much older than you.
0: No, no. (laughs) law school to probably 20 years before you did. <laughs> okay.
2: Um, but I was on, Amy Poehler came to the invitation hall that I organized. And every once in a while, I'll see like biographies of them and their careers. And I'm like, a little bit of that road not traveled. But sure, sure. M- not, most of the time, like, I got a good thing going here.
1: Dude, the road you've traveled. Yeah, the road, yeah. When you're on that road, it's <laughs> yeah. the road, right? Yeah, of the course. road not traveled
2: you always has, look at it, yeah. Yeah, has no problems. And, and the studios aren't messing with your stuff sure. and you're, you know. Not that getting pilots canceled.
0: Because we needed the games that yeah. you were going to
2: make. So I, I I didn't have any idea that I was going to be a board game designer. Even the day I interviewed at Hasbro, I didn't know. <laughs> it's called foreshadowing. Mm. Um I was a big role-playing person. Mm-hmm. First edition D&D and a lot of the role-playing stuff in the early to mid-80s. And... Just always kinda, you know, drifted away in high school a little bit because I was too cool and then, but never really drifted away and and liked it and was in advertising, which I did after television as an advertising copywriter. Yeah. Need a snappy logo? Billboard. Yeah, there we go. Catchphrase. You You work for free, right? I exposure. I work for exposure. (laughs) Um and I did a freelance article for Dragon magazine back when there was a Dragon magazine and I wrote an article and it was accepted and I still have a copy not the original copy of the check frame to my office or mount to my office wall it was like 110 bucks and it was the most satisfying thing I had done career wise what was the article about it was how to take like everyday news articles and turn them into a real quick role playing thing what love it oh yeah yeah. absolutely and so basically it was like it was like a weird almost like a research paper it's like find an article and say okay this and then break it down this article is about a person with too much power who is being choosed of corruption from the local police a politician of the police so like okay so it could be a lord with the guard mm. and why was he doing it oh it's an affair that just mo- maps over right like yeah. corruption to cover up an affair okay so how are the heroes getting involved with this like once you've abstracted it then you rewrite it to your world and then you figure out of the heroes, are they uncovering it? Are they related to the person of the affair? Are they in the guards and they feel betrayed? And then you find you're in so you can just flip through because there were newspapers at the time, flip through a newspaper and <laughs> yeah. find like if you're a DM and need to like make something up for that session, just pick up a newspaper because the real world is always better than
1: well, especially newspapers because they do local news, and local news is the craziest news. <laughs> yeah,
2: it is. Uh, a, you, you can ever find played
0: the Florida Man game.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. in your birthday and Florida Man into Google. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Google I forget one. what I. I got something that was not funny. It was like, oh, the, that's they are also so sad. You know, like that one, slaughters whole family. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh yeah, that's not good. I Ha-ha. Think
0: mine was something about uh, fights a cop after losing his hot dog or something.
2: Yeah. Well, he was upset.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I get it. Last we, hot dog.
1: The idea of using the newspaper, especially in the in the context of D&D, is such a good example of finding inspiration all around you. Uh, We used to do I used to produce a show actually in Portland that was just a comedy show that all the prompts for the stand up and the improv were pulled from newspaper clippings that the audience pulled in the pre show. And so we would read them on stage and then do improv. And sometimes writers would go back and write sketches or do stand up oh, sets based on those. Yeah, too. That's so perfect. you would
0: pass out actual physical newspapers <laughs> yes. to your audience? And
1: scissors, if you can believe it or not, to audience members. And they would read articles that they th- or headlines they thought you were know, like, interesting. Florida, to cut you know what they do with those scissors. So. <laughs> yeah, it's a melee instantly. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, just take that inspiration from whatever you find. Right. And it's around you everywhere. I talk about that with my kids. I
2: mean, uh, my daughter's in college, my son's in high school, and they're growing to like history and sociology more. And that's what I have my degree in. I have my my major in classical civilizations with a minor in medieval history.
0: My sister has a PhD in medieval history. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow. So that's a deep, deep dive right there. Well,
2: I really. I went into college good to be a computer programmer because I was either going to make special effects for movies or, or video games. How this many? was in 1980.
0: <laughs> I'm counting six right now.
2: Well, how many interesting things that I try? Sure, yeah. sure. Um, yeah, I was like, it was pretty smart in 88 to sound like special effects for movies or video games in the 90s will probably be big and I'd like to do them. And it was absolutely the right call. Ah, yeah. But I didn't want to be a coder sitting in a dark room. Yeah, that's what no. it is, isn't it, at that uh, point? Yeah, I, I'm too much of a <laughs> person who wants to talk to people and interact. And, you know, I like nerdy building things, but I didn't want it to be my my whole day.
0: Sure, and sunlight's great.
2: And sunlight is good. And so I ended up just taking these history classes because I really thought I was going into television and there's no degree for that other than going to Harvard, I found out, writing for The Lampoon. And um, so I'm like, what does it matter? I've got my career. So I graduated with a career that I had no use for. Right. But it's turned out to be very, very useful because when I'm coming up with a world and like we were talking before, I'm not going to spoil it, but about Betrayal Legacy, I'm like, mm, I've got a story. Here's what happened in history. Here's a myth. Here's something from literature. Here's what was going on in America in the 19th century. And like it's all well, just you there. you
0: downplayed it. You were like, oh, my whole team would come up with the, the cultural references. But you just had an index in your head of this is the year. And yeah, I, pr- I, I probably
2: came up with most of them. I kind of like did the outline and then they helped me fill in the stuff.
1: But. I want to get into how you constructed Betrayal Legacy. Like I want to get into the nuts and bolts of the tree that you wrote for sure. But should we – You ask
0: your questions because um, I've already asked Rob questions about Betrayal Legacy. And so I don't want to ask the same questions. I want to hear what other questions you ask. Fair
1: enough. Should we do like a transition into break before that?
0: I forgot that we have a break in this show. Yes. (laughs) Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, Well, we'll talk about Betrayal Legacy with Rob Davio. Welcome back to Victory Points. I'm Becca Scott. And I'm Jake Michaels. And we are here with the greatest guest we could ever ask for, Rob Davio, doing a very special episode. That's why if you like to watch on YouTube, you're shit out of luck. <laughs>
1: we'll, just put, <laughs> we'll just put a picture of him with this audio.
0: Yeah, I will. I will do that. Okay. Um, so we're going to dig into the juicy meat of doll eyes.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Literally, actually. Yeah, yeah, for those who've... <laughs> Play Betrayal Legacy, know what we're talking about? And for those, those well, of you
1: who haven't, though, let's give a, just a really quick precursor. Yeah, and
0: also plug uh, the Game the Game series and our talk back episode with Rob that he's in town for. Yeah. Um, so over at Geek and Sundry, we recorded, there are 13 chapters and a prologue of Betrayal Legacy, and we played through all of them. There, These videos exist on YouTube, and you can watch them in their entirety, and it, it will spoil some things, but... Won't spoil everything because it's that awesome of a game, which we'll get into. Uh, and then there is an episode that will also exist somewhere on the internet of us discussing our playthrough with Rob. Same so, playlist,
1: probably. Yeah, yeah.
0: It'll be on that playlist. Yeah.
2: It was It was fun. Um, I think that's the first time of any Legacy game that I've done that I got to just sit down and spoil everything.
0: So satisfying. It
2: was, because like, you just don't know when people have played it, but since people who've watched the whole series and to be fair you'll get spoiled of the main plot and a lot of the plot twists if yeah. you play it you'll have a lot of details that are different but the, the story beats will be the same um, so I'm like these people have already come this far yeah, yeah for, for sure. sure like I'm just gonna just say everything and then someone's like hey you ruined it I'm like come on you just watched the the 15th video in this series yeah exactly so it was fun it was a lot of fun to do I haven't done it for pandemic and I haven't done it for some other
0: and kudos to (sighs) Wizards of the Coast for allowing us for asking us to do the playthrough and realizing that it gets people excited spoilers aren't the end of the world and don't turn people off from things necessarily all the time
2: yeah and I think I saw on some of the comments I make it a general policy not to read YouTube comments at yeah. all. Oh I get but, you. Yeah. Um but I know some people are like, oh I started watching these and they were fun. So I went out and bought a copy. Yes. And then I'm gonna play it. And then once I'm caught up, I'm gonna watch yours and play mine and then people are sort of playing it in parallel to see the similarities and differences. So yeah. mm-hmm. I thought it was great that Wizards did it and they they asked me to come out here and paid for my flight to come out. I'm always
0: we're so glad they did. We're yeah so getting
2: glad. on an airplane's a, a, a core competency, I like, think you know. <laughs>
1: Well, working here, we go through quite a few games every year that we get to see and play through and we get inspired to buy a lot of them ourselves. I would say Betrayal Legacy was one that like not only did the cast get super excited about it. The crew also wanted to get involved in it. And various people around the office who weren't even involved in production were like, we're going to go get our copy and play our own game. And there's several people in this office who have their own campaigns going purely because we got this in the office and they were just pumped about
0: it. And don't worry. They've already talked to Rob at length. (laughs) It was
2: really nice. There was a woman in the office who was very excited to talk talk, uh, about her campaign. And I I like that because I just work at my house. Uh, not in my pajamas, like everyone assumes. <laughs> no, you can't get anything done in your pajamas. So no, you have to dress you have like you're going to work. Uh, I, no, the, the tie thing is what I've known. It's my public persona, oh. which I wear to conventions and stuff, and I like it. It came out of um, traveling on an airplane. I started wearing a jacket and tie.
0: People treat you better.
2: People treat me better. The inside jacket pockets are really good when you're in a small seat to yeah, put glasses and yeah. phone and, and whatever wallet if you want to pay for something. And then I noticed people treat me better. Mm. And now it's just this fun affectation. Yeah. And like I'd get on with a flight attendant. Not as much lately. I think more people are dressing it, But like 10 years ago, they'd be like, why you got a tie on? Why a jacket? I go. I'm traveling. Let's make it a party. Rather than being miserable like the rest of these people slumping in here, why don't we just have a good time with this thing? Absolutely. bottle of wine shows up at my chair. Hey, we got a seat up here. You know, then then, like you want to
1: move up a little bit like,
2: you know. Isn't it interesting how the
1: psychology that works because like I – most people wear athletic clothes or whatever that they think they're comfortable in – in an airplane, which they are physically, but then it also is like their attitude is that, yeah, right? I gave up. Y- yeah. Like, yeah. I'm I, like, I, I'm suffering through this as comfortably as I can, as opposed to I'm doing this confidently with a jacket and tie.
2: Yeah. And people say like, but I don't, I wear jeans. I don't wear a suit. Cause then it looks like I'm getting off the Des Moines sales route. Like yeah. that sure. I got pulled in. Like, no, I'm choosing to do this. Like yes. you can tell that this is a, this is a choice. Sometimes it's a, a leather jacket and tie. Like it looks like I'm a bomber pilot. Let's go do this. <laughs> and I just, It's going to be miserable. It's going to be long. But like just put on a little show for you and the people who have to work and put up with all these people. And all of a sudden you just get a lot of favors – you get a lot of favors back. It's like being nice to wait staff. It's like not hard to get good service in a service industry. It's just be nice. Yeah. Look them
0: like a human. Look yeah, them. them in the eye.
2: Yeah. yeah, look them in the eye and say things and say like, thank you. And you
1: did a really good job here and and stuff like that. I kick so myself so every time I forget to look them in the eye. I'm like, what am I doing? Oh. They're human beings too. See, I Pay worked attention.
0: in the service industry for a long time. So I always treat my wait staff very yeah. well. Learn their name, say their name because people like their names said. But I recently just got off a flight. Travel drop uh, a couple days ago, and I wore like oversized sweatpants, and I just felt like the biggest schlub. And I had kind of dressed up on the way there. This was a nine-hour flight either way, and I was like, you know what? Let me just sleep as much as possible and wear these schlubby pants. And I just felt awful. And I thought, you know what? This is the last time because even in the span of three days, doing a nine-hour flight, kind of dressed nice, wearing something I thought was cute, and then doing it again three days later in Feeling gross, people looked at me different. I had to go into longer lines because they'd close the line right before me. <laughs> oh, Whereas I know when I was wearing my hair in a cute scarf and this flowy skirt, people would smile at me when I walked up and be, I'm uh, some the you know when they check your ID mm-hmm. and you're you're going through security, <laughs> this guy. It wasn't like a hitting on. You think this guy goes, you just have a really good spirit. And, <laughs> It's because I was walking through the airport feeling cute. It's And I confidence. knew I, I yeah. walked up with confidence. And I was like, hey. He was like, you're spirit. And then yeah, <laughs> when it, you wear sweatpants,
2: it, that doesn't happen. And it just – it's going to be a long, miserable day. And I yes. just feel like it's – I started doing it besides the jacket thing is I'd have to take a red eye over to England for work for Hasbro and hit the ground and work. Cool. And if I could get off the plane and kind of straighten my tie, I'm like – Let's go. do this. Like, yeah. I'm in England, right? And, and suddenly it was like I was like this British agent, yes. you know, on this mission. And it was a little cosplay for myself and it worked. And then I started noticing all the other side benefits. And but people say like, well, I just want to be comfortable.
1: I'm like, buy clothes that fit. I'm perfectly <laughs> yeah, that's, comfortable that's in the outfit that I'm wearing. Yeah. Uh you brought this up in the context of working at home, which is true for working in general, is that you kind of need to be in a working mode, right? So when yeah, you're at it, home, you're not very productive when you're in your pajamas, even no. if you're supposed to be working. But, man, if you put on pants and shoes.
2: <laughs> I put on pants most of the time, shoes. I just like Depends on your house.
1: Some people say like they're like little foot prisons. I sure. call them foot huggers. I
2: like I, <laughs> sure. like yeah. I put on uh, sneakers, jeans, usually a black T-shirt because I'm a designer, and a hoodie.
1: Yeah, yeah hoodie. The yeah. uniform. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: just the uniform, and I just feel like – I'm ready to go. Uh,
1: this yeah. is comfortable me. This is working me. It's yeah. important for not only p- how people receive you in the airport, but also how you feel. That's what we we're talking about is like you did have a good spirit from that guy's perspective. But it was also your own little and I don't mean this in a metaphysical way, but your aura a little bit like your Boy, confidence.
0: You. Yeah.
3: Your oh,
1: presence. Yeah.
0: I did feel I totally presence. felt it. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that you said cosplay because reverse engineering that uh, when I'm creating a character for a role playing game. I like to dress up as the character and then I'll add an element. Oh, this character has glasses. Oh, then their voice sounds like this. Oh, then that this thing happened in their past that it just it you piggybacks an outside it's back in actor? and forth.
2: Huh? Outside in actor? Or you like to get the costume and stuff that which affects. i outside the, in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. outside as opposed to like what's the motivation and then yeah, you can dress me sure. in Yeah, I do once a year. It's going to be a real diversion. I do a – the best way to call it shorthand is a LARP but it's sort of a LARP. To, like being dropped into a play put on around you there are a hundred staff members of which my I'm one my wife is also on staff and some friends and then there are 60 participants you can only go once and you just get dropped in the middle and they're doing a little bit more of the LARPing play type thing and um, we put on a show around you and there's stuff for you to interact with, and then stuff with, for you to do and I'm in heaven yeah <laughs> and um, so we're doing most of the acting we tell the people just – we're going to give you a different name so you get out of your – or you get come up with a different name. So you're not Becca, right? You're not taking the day off from work. You're
0: – Penelope Pentagrass. Right, whatever.
2: You, but we tell people like – um which you just did instinctively also because I know you. It's like don't do a voice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I will
3: do right? a voice. Don't
2: come up with a backstory for a character. Just be you on your best day trying to be awesome. I'm like we're going to put cats and trees that you rescue for old ladies and i said we'll do all the, we'll do all the acting you just you
1: just say yes and go with
2: it well you just kind of like yes and yeah you just kind of go around and just participate and you you'll have rules like this is my class and these are the rules and these are how many hits i can get cuz there are the whole foam sword thing and stuff like that um but before my time i've been on staff like 5 years and it's been going for there've been 20 different years that did it over like 25. And they, there were people who would be like, my character wouldn't like, no, just be, just, just don't like. Go yeah. with
0: it. Just go with it. Yeah.
2: And so I've had a couple of characters I've had to play there and I've discovered like, I'm all about like the hair and the bad mustache and like you give me the outside costume and all of a sudden I find the walk and then I find the walk and I find the voice and then all of a sudden I'm like, here it is. Here's the the greasy, oily salesman that I want everyone, I want you to see me walking across because it's on this, in Connecticut, this outdoor like it just spans acres and acres, and it's beautiful fall foliage and stuff like that. And I want people to see me like I don't like that guy before I even get any closer. <laughs> to, right? You might only see me once
0: because we make those judgments about people all the time. Yeah. So a character should have the same preconceptions.
2: right. And there's going to be a hundred characters. You might meet someone none. You might meet have heavy interaction with them, and you don't. We don't really know before it starts which characters and which people like it's just this constant improv thing for us although we do have like a 400 page script of what we generally want to accomplish wow.
1: 400 pages
2: there's a hundred there's, a hundred there's so many deviations well no there's a hundred there's mostly here are all the characters and what they're trying to do i'm not going to say more the reason you can or more about the plot because it's rewritten every two years but a lot of the story beats are the same sure. so as a participant you can only go once because it would be like going back to a murder mystery. Like this is the part where the butler Whoa. did it. But last time it was a girl. But now it's a butler. But yeah, yeah, you're gonna love this part, right? And
0: that's why there's more staff than participants because everybody wants to come back.
2: And then you apply way. to be on staff, <laughs> and then you wait, and I waited five years, uh, and then an opening came, and now what? What is? Uh, so can you tell us what it's called? Yeah, it's called Otherworld, which is where I got the name for the other worlds. In oh, oh that's amazing. an inside joke for all my friends who are there. It's just otherworld.org, and actually. I don't know when this is broadcasting, but um, a couple weeks. Yeah, registrations open now. It might be full in a couple of weeks. It's about half full. It's from an email that we okay, had this but morning.
0: We'll get in, and the listeners won't. So, ha ha
2: <laughs> ha, ha. You just go there, and uh, yeah, it's just a chance to sort of go up, and it's it's interesting. If I say it's a LARP, that doesn't quite do it. If I say it's a play, it doesn't quite it's do it. And cool. I went interactive in, interac- theater, yeah, but yeah. even more interactive theater, but a little more. I say it's a little bit. Um, sometimes it reminds me of city slickers in a way we ha- actually one of the most largest groups of people we get are like middle aged women who are supposed to be empty nesters are like I my kids are going I don't really have a purpose huh. and they're like go out and kill some bad guys and they're like no <laughs> they love, love it. it they get into it right they get into it so it's Friday so night through Sunday circle. noon and all of a sudden by sa- Saturday afternoon they're like You'll see these four like friends from high school who are like 52. And all of a sudden, you know, I'll be a bad guy going to get them. I'm like, hey, how are these people? And they're like, line up, formation. And they like, practice. And they're like, and you're like, oh. They've yeah, got, their are A little now. commitment and yeah. they are just right in. Yeah, Friday oh, wow. night, a lot of people are like, okay, this is a little weird. We'll get into it. And then Saturday, you're doing a lot of walking. You walk like 10 miles on Saturday. Wow. Do a lot of activity and stuff. And usually somewhere by late morning, you've got enough going. You're like, all right. There's enough little breadcrumbs of quests and things to do and stories that you want to follow up on. And a lot of the other world – I went in 2010 and I was working on Risk Legacy. And then I joined in 2015 a lot of the way that the woman who writes and directs this does her plots and gives out information I've used yeah. in my legacy games. And It actually, sounds
0: like it, the way that the story evolves yeah. and you can go down a certain path is inspired.
2: Yeah, pretty much um, – being on staff is like one of these things. I'm like, oh, acting. Yep. Uh, Writing. Yeah. Yep. Being outside. Yeah. Hitting people with a sword. Role playing <laughs> like a little like I'm like, He's, I just
0: uh, checking boxes in the air. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Okay. For those of you at home, I'm <laughs> checking boxes. Um, so it, it, I just had a lot of fun. And I was the reluctant like there's groups of six and I had five friends going. And they're like, look, if we go five, they're not going to keep us together and then put a six person with us because they'll break us into a two or a three. And then and they're like, so I we know. need a six. And I'm like, I'll go LARP.
0: (laughs) And yet you found your other calling.
2: And then I got there and I was like, oh, this is not what I expected. Yeah.
0: I did my first LARP last year in Poland called the College of Wizardry. It was the last one they did, second to last one they ever did. (laughs) But um, it it was 120 people and they were all – many people were veterans of LARPing, but the staff was – not, not, uh, there were professors at a school that were also players. So it wasn't, I'm not gonna go too into it, but uh, I got a taste for what that world is like and it's addicting. There are ups and downs to it. Yeah. It's very emotionally taxing, but so worth it. And and maybe it sounds like Otherworld is different in that it's set up to make you the hero. Whereas some other LARPs, it's not necessarily a all positive experience, it's about feeling things. <laughs>
2: Yeah, we definitely, there are 10 groups, and each one is on sort of their own story. But then there's a larger story that ties it together. And we tell people, like, you're not competing with the other groups. You're not trying to win. Please don't get into But my character would be mad at your character, like, in your group. Like, can the six of you just go around and experience this and just, yeah. and, and try to be the good guys. Yeah. Just be the We're good together. guys. Like, be more of a fairy tale than a gritty reboot, right? Like, just keep it light. So, uh.
0: I I like that on Rails. I think I might like that even more than the experience I had, which was um, like I definitely cried because bullies at the school bullied me. But that was the character they chose.
2: <laughs> right, oh, we damn. did have a bullying subplot like a couple of years ago, but the staff bullied the other staff. Absolutely. Like I'm little, I'm five seven, so I had like a guy. I remember walking up in the scene, going, "Push me down, push me down." And the guy's like, "I'm not." He was like six four. I'm like, "Push me," and then he pushed me because we wanted the participants. To be mad and at the bullies you, yeah. and find the way to like we got to fix this problem. So we we you know like we don't we will put people in chan- places where they have to find a way to overcome. But we're not going to like put people in a locker or something like that. Right, it's, right. Yeah.
1: It's kind of downhill in terms of like they don't have to. There's still there's still challenge to it, and of course, but like it's not a it's not a quandary every time or like something they have to yeah. We persevere. We will. Through. We will. Yeah, I like to say that it's more of a fairy tale in the sense of
2: like, here are bad guys. Would you like to f- get rid of the bad guys? <laughs> you don't have to. But usually people are like, wait, I can fix this. Like I'm I'm the hero yeah. in the story. Oh,
0: fix the ineffectuality we all feel yeah. in daily life. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I
2: can <gasps> Go ahead. Uh, so anyway, that's that's it was a side diversion, but um we're involved with um registration right now. So it was on my mind.
0: Absolutely. So I... Okay. So <clears throat> We mentioned when we came back from the break that we would talk about <laughs> Betrayal Legacy and then we talked about many other things and I'm very glad for that. But uh, Jake, do you want to lead the burning questions in your mind as to how Betrayal Legacy came about yeah. or go for it?
1: Well, I mean, I mean, now I'm just hearing your story about the LARPing and the way that, that um, interactive thing was written. I can already see how your proverbial – Plot tree developed for Betrayal. Mm -hmm. So let's kind of go a little behind the scenes. I want to know how the hell you map this out from the get-go. Like where do you start when you're writing it? Um, Well, the interesting thing about legacy games is you figure out how many
2: chapters you're going to have. And I think about it like episodic TV. Mm -hmm. And so like a showrunner, I'm like here's what's going to happen over the course of the entire season, mm-hmm. here are the high points and the low points. And for those at
0: home, he drew an arc. <laughs> he drew an arc, and
2: I, I talk with my hands a lot. It's, it's great. great. Well, we're here to narrate it. And um, and so, like in pandemic legacy, we're like, oh, it's twelve months, and so we can break it into f- three acts. And so, like upbeats and downbeats, mm-hmm. and act breaks and scene breaks and stuff. So I do like kind of the same thing which is what story do we want to tell and what are the points? And then, you you know, oh, we need 14, we need 12, like Betray Legacy used to have another
1: chapter. So you take what is initially a pretty linear storyline, right? For the most part, but you have maybe multiple iterations of them or they have
2: no, so interweaving?
1: There's, there's, there's two things in,
2: in a Legacy game, and I'd love to fix this problem, is that there is a, a through line, like a main plot, mm-hmm. that everyone basically gets. Okay. And that's on Rails. But my goal is to make it feel like
1: it wasn't on Rails. Yeah, it didn't feel like it was on Rails. And if
2: you pull it apart and look at it, and you look at the branches not taken, you realize that all paths lead back to this sort of thing, Uh or you can get different pieces of information which will color things differently, but it's just different ways of explaining the same information. That would upset some people to learn, but the, the fact is if you play it once and you don't know... You're none the wiser. You're none the wiser, and then I look at it and say, well, what are the things that the players can influence, change, or otherwise manipulate outside of this main plot that will give them their own experience in their own world? And let them do that pretty much as much as possible, right? And, well, but, every, I mean at every opportunity without every, derailing. Every, yes. Naming mm-hmm. is a wonderful way for people mm-hmm. to have ownership and immersion. Mm-hmm. They immediately feel like it's, it's part of their game. Um, betrayal was a little bit different because there wasn't good guys and bad guys. It was like every game – like it couldn't be I won as the – you know, the traitor. Therefore, evil flourishes in the house. Therefore, evil has an advantage in the house and I'm never the traitor again. And you go, well, I did this thing and then it hurt me the rest of the game. So I'm not incentivized to try to win because I don't know in the next game if it will be good or bad. Mm -hmm. And that was a real sort of problem early on. Um, But with Pandemic Legacy, you can buy equipment for characters and give them upgrades or upgrade the board. And so they're almost like little tricks and tools that you can use for your world to make it easier for you to solve the game because it's always cooperative.
1: Right. You're opening your options. A You're opening bit. your options. Mm-hmm.
2: So in Betrayal, like the haunts you get will be different. Therefore, the event cards that go into your deck will be different. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you'll have different events. But those events all are basically event cards. Yeah, they're and the so ancillary stuff. They're that the happens. ancillary stuff. It's not like this event card will break mm-hmm. your game and this event card gives you all the answers for the end. Um, You can choose to... I got to remember to do a spoiler free after talking spoilers all day. You well, get, I mean <laughs> we, we
1: let's without than go into the details of that like how do you th- how do you begin to solve that problem? Which problem? The problem of you, you said you want to try and fix this and that you don't want it necessarily to be on one semi rail line, right? I I think the
2: answer is and I'm going to look at this going forward is um I think after 10 years of legacy games people are naturally getting the normal I brought all the problems of band practice and role-playing games a board game, which you, you got to get the same group together again and yeah. again and again. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that doing a six-pack, six episodes, five episodes, but giving more branches mm-hmm. is oh. one way to do it. Because the, mm-hmm. the problem is if you're doing 13 things and you give a choice – like if I let you branch A or B. You have two choices going forward. If I do that again, you have four choices. So if I give you A or B every game, and then after like five games, there's 32 different places you can be. And as a designer of a non-video game, I'm like, dear God, I, I don't know what I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I don't know how to balance this or play it. Right. And I even can't video make...
0: games don't are on rails like the Telltale games. Yeah. or uh, When Bandersnatch came out, that people were like, "Well, I played it 50 times, and there weren't that many different options." You played it fifty, 50 times. times. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is to make one really good entertaining experience where the player has enough decisions that they make that they had some influence mm-hmm. over, it, but they're not allowed to drive the car into the ditch. Mm-hmm. And if you play it again and you make different stuff, and you go, "Oh, this ended up about eighty-five percent the same." Well, you played thirty games of something, and hopefully, you enjoyed yourself along the way. But, but your
0: friends did dif- different voices and brought, yeah, and different different you had different stories, yeah,
2: and, and and different things. So, um. The problem is uh, it's length over width. Right. You can't have both of them. And I picked for Risk Legacy 15 games because I knew the argument would be it's disposable. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Even if you can play it after it's done. Like Pandemic, you can't. But every other Legacy game I've done, you can. But the argument is still like, oh, I have to
1: throw it away. I mean, by 15 games of Risk in any context, I'm kind (laughs) of ready to throw it away. (laughs) (laughs) It was a revolutionary game in the 50s that – Dude, I love Absolutely. No, I'm not and, slamming Risk. I'm just saying we've i I've played it's also a long one too. But like the legacy version obviously adds all those elements that make you want to carry yeah, it I, on. It, I, I and played, it makes it shorter. I yes. played
0: last year because we were in a cabin and that was one of the only serious quote unquote <laughs> games that we found in this old cabinet. And we found a game from a version from the fifties, and I remembered I love Risk. It is still yeah. a super great it game. It yeah. is a long game, but one wonderful variety of, of strategic choices you can make at any given time. And I think it's one of those that's thrown under the bus a lot because it's what we had in our childhood. And if you are very into board games now, you maybe don't revisit it as much unless you're playing Legacy. Uh, yeah, it's, it's
2: easy it's to cool. dislike it, a lot of those games. I always said that Risk is either the last kid's game you play or the first real game you play, mm. a little less so now with more options, but up to like 10 years ago. Oh, I like that. That you get to Risk and you're like, I don't like this because in Risk you you decide how much you do want to turn or not do, right? You can That's attack true. a lot. You can yeah. attack a little. You can deploy your armies kind of like how you want. Mm-hmm. You can put them in one place. And there's just a lot of freedom of your turn is as big or small as you want. And some people are like, wait, it's not just roll the dice and move this many spaces. This is amazing. And other people are like, I know there's too much to think about. Yeah. And it's this decision point that especially like in the 60s and 70s probably led some people to find – Hardcore games,
1: yeah. That, that I think that's what got <sighs> us into it. I would imagine. Right? I played
0: Risk a lot as a seven-year-old yeah, with my dad. Me too. And, and like we'd yeah. leave a game for days of like, yeah. okay, we'll come back to it. Yeah, again. it was
1: sat on the it sat on the dining room table far too long. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah, yeah. And, and
2: it, it, the problem is the original game was designed when people had more attention span to play a longer game or leave mm-hmm. it set up, and the game really does in, um, encourage turtling to some extent. Absolutely. I mean, you do get a card for taking a territory, but if you're just taking one and then stopping, that's really the, yeah. the best thing until you... And so you get a lot of building up armies. Now I can't attack the you. The optimization so I, becomes kind of clear. So a lot of the things we did in the last decade or, yeah, early 2000s when we were working on it was try to find ways where there was a timer or encourage offense or mm-hmm. change the win conditions to try to get it down to like a 75-minute game that encouraged taking a risk. Yeah, sure. incentivizing <sighs> the word. Yeah,
0: well, you, Yeah, you were able to take the decades of knowledge that has been gamed by the tabletop world and and infuse it in this classic, which what? is really cool. But um, I wanted to go back to what the idea of, well, I'm not going to play a disposable game that, you know, I only get 15 playthroughs or 13 playthroughs or 14. Um, but now do you feel that perhaps there is a legacy game in your future that is, what well, you were saying, of, of five chapter 5 segment game I, you can go wider
2: I think so Machi Koro Legacy is coming out <gasps> this month
0: what?
3: and that's
2: 10 games and that's each one's like 35-40 minutes long it's just a little oh nice it's just a little whimsical little experience that I worked on with J.R. Honeycutt and I co-designed that
3: oh fantastic
2: and, um, that one's fun and that's 10 games and a little uh,
0: lighter material than Betrayal
2: a little bit lighter yeah I was working on them at very similar times <laughs> and i'm you sure probably i needed a break once i'm sure i overlap between the two of them that one is just inspired that's really designed for kids and kids at heart
3: mm-hmm.
2: right like yeah. i wanted seven-year-olds to play it and be captivated by the story so it's just silly silly and then we were talking about it with the machikoro people who are from japan they said oh it reminds us of this japanese fairy tale and then they told us and so we kind of wove that in and then we gave it back to them they're like uh, pretty close Westerners, and then they tweaked it, and you know <laughs> <laughs> that's not how magic works, and you know yeah. in our in our belief system. And so oh, we went back cool. and forth, but yeah, it's all just silly nonsense. I mean, it's like a children's cartoon, and I, I
0: yeah, that sounds so fantastic and light. Machi Coro is one that it's grown on me, but um, there is it's so dice reliant that I think when something has dice, it has to have the strong story to go with it, and the Harbor Expansion helped but uh, for my personal experience of Machi Koro, but I do remember being like, well, the dice aren't doing what I want, which is often my complaint with Settlers of Catan. Um, yep. So I'm really excited to see how you've woven your expertise at telling a great story into a simple, whimsical game like that. Well,
2: and dice mitigation. I mean, Betrayal has a lot of swingy dice as well. So yeah. we gave you a mitigating thing that you could use for re-rolls, and I'm speaking elliptically. <laughs> and... um, do a similar thing in Machi Koro. Yeah. Like you have the ability to get a resource which will give you re- re-rolls. And if you really want to have a lot of them because you like the security of waiting for that perfect roll, you can spend a little more time trying to get that resource. And if you're like, let the dice land where they're going to land. And we tried to, tried to have a bunch of fun stuff in there.
0: I love that. Now, dice <sighs> mitigation, if I can justify with my role-playing brain why I failed at that, I'm not as mad about it. You know, or mad at all. It's like, well, I should have failed and that makes sense. That's yeah. <laughs> satisfying. And,
2: and I, I totally agree. But Machikoro, um, you are playing a mayor of a you're a town.
0: Right.
3: So you're as not as you you're depend. not
2: getting deep into this role. Like you, I mean you can wear a hat, no. top hat if you want, or whatever you want to do, but Oh no, I will. <laughs> 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 she will. <laughs>
0: um you said there was another chapter that almost made it into Betrayal Legacy.
2: Oh, good catch. Yeah, it was uh, it was fifteen chapters at the beginning. And there was one between the second to last chapter is nineteen sixty nine and the other one it then it goes to two thousand four and there was one in between which was nineteen eighty eight and I'm trying to the, guess video. i'm trying to guess what you would uh, so if so if yeah if each if each year reflects like the horror tropes of its time so you have to now Poltergeist yeah I was gonna that's say that's 1984, 1984.
1: Uh, okay uh, or one of the slasher films there you go okay so what's the omen 88 would be was that Friday no Friday the 13th was earlier uh, Halloween asked. was earlier
2: it was It yeah it was, uh, it, was so all, it wasn't It
1: f- was Scream that's later
2: The Scream was later it, it, it's the slasher films that go from Halloween and Friday the 13th through Nightmare on uh, yeah, Elm, Elm Street into Scream where it was sort of like done in a different way and it was a mask like, we didn't say whether it was a hockey mask or a rubber mask like Halloween or Freddy Krueger wore, like, a hat and a sweater. He also was horribly scarred. was horribly scarred. So all of them have a disfigurement around the face. Yeah. And we ended up doing, and I said, it's just running too long. Like, you, mm-hmm. we just need to get to the finale of this. And so that one was cut. And then we repurposed those haunts to work with a different omen that's introduced in the last chapter when you play Betrayal Legacy. And so kind of... Rework them to to go with it. And Ooh, I, what a fun! Yeah, and the lead it. haunt writer I know was um, is bummed because he's a big horror aficionado sure. and he loves that genre. And I was like, "Sorry, man, we're cutting the."
0: Oh. But what a tough stuff. decision to make. <laughs> yeah, I didn't
2: do it easily. I mean, I did it easily because it was the right thing to do. But I knew it was like, "All right, we gotta cut this." Yeah, but I cut stuff that is my
1: favorite stuff all the time from games. You it's have to just, sometimes writers'
0: biggest kill your darlings. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know the trope. The idea of basing those things, uh, those stories from those years around what was happening in the culture of of literature or horror or movies or in that time, we didn't notice it, I don't think, for the first few games, right? Like when did we start picking up on that?
0: I I, I gave credit to Xander genre uh, because I think a couple games in, maybe it was maybe it was as many as four or five when we came across the doll
2: that's fourth yeah
0: yeah Yeah, maybe it was the fourth that Xander said oh I think I know I think they thought about this yeah (laughs) Yeah.
2: well at the beginning it's a little bit of a mishmash right right? because it's kind of popular it's just like it's just old stuff and I'm trying to lay some stuff down for the major plot but then when you get into the 18th century you start getting like Sciencey haunts mm-hmm. in the middle of the 18th century, and Gothic horror Edgar Allan Poe <laughs> in the late 19th century, and then I'm not spoiling anything, yeah. but you start to, you know, like if you get into World War II, that's when Godzilla films came out, and like fear of radiation, yeah. and you know it scientific just, sure. experiments. It's so and, cool
1: because you pick those things <sighs> that even if people don't necessarily haven't seen that film or or read that literature they get the culture around it like the subtext or?
0: because that influenced so many other things that right they've for, seen something that was influenced by that mm-hmm.
2: yeah i um the whole goal was you're playing with the same tiles now you get more of them but basically the same tiles and the same figures and the same cards and the same items so how do i make you feel like it's 80 years or 90 years later than a couple games ago and it has to be like this culture shift yep and i know when i'm playing them or watching people play, like when I watched you, I mean, I'm seeing the story in my head. I mean, you're moving on the board, but I'm doing the, you know, like reading a book, like I'm doing the visualization. And you are not in the house that you were at in 1692 when it's 1880. It looks different in my head. And then when you get into the 20th century and there's more radical changes, like in my head, it's the same tiles we've seen before, but... It it but it a different just, but a different <laughs> yes. lens. The story in my head that I'm painting is different because of the framing around it. Agreed. Yes, and totally. I think
0: you were talking about how many revisions you gave to the illustrator, and I think it it is it does such a good job of giving us little details that we can see in a tile and say, oh look at this, look there's a little rune mark by the fireplace. <laughs> but also feeling that sort of um, not breaking with, not giving anachronisms. And letting it be sort of... Authentic? Okay. Uh, sure. Uh, non-anachronistic, yeah, specifically. Yeah, like, yeah and we, we time.
2: do research. When was this invented? When yeah. did this come out? Yeah. And by and large, we weren't a slave to it. It's not a documentary. <laughs> but it it was sort of like, would people feel that this is the right time period? Yeah. And you're like, well, it's five years too early. It's like, it's okay. You get it. Yeah, yeah you right. get it. Like, no one's going to... Very few are, people. Uh, you know, someone <laughs> who's like a professor yeah. of when... T- I don't know, let him write the letter. It's w- fine. <laughs> when furnaces were put into houses, it's like, no, they actually weren't until 1870 and you had them coming in in 1849. If he's like, a
1: professor <laughs> of that, though, he deserves his moment in the sun. Yeah, Absolutely. that's true. Like, let him or, have she, that. or, she, or she. I will say she, my true.
0: sister is great at that. Yeah, That's <laughs> what
1: the degree's for. All I. Right. Th- we. One last thing, though. Uh, your excitement about the things that were revealed in the game, Becca, reminds me of the excitement that we saw in the cast in general in the show over... So many things that happen, like just drawing cards that they drew three weeks ago, got people in an uproar.
3: Oh, (laughs) Moses.
1: When new pieces of awesome. the game came out that we hadn't seen before, when new rules were applied, there was the most excited reading of rules I had ever seen. in people. And I don't because <laughs> you got
0: to peel it in a sticker. Yeah, oh, it's, there's something
1: about that. tactile. No, that's every
2: legacy game has <laughs> stickers that go into. A rule. There's
1: something about that tactile nature of revealing something in this box that you've owned that you weren't aware of. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. If only we made a holiday out of that every December 25th. (laughs) Well, (laughs) And when you
2: celebrate another trip around the sun of opening it, it's a pile of boxes of it's unknown. (laughs) And then you get so excited to open it. Even if what's inside is a rule you have to read, you have somehow convinced yourself that it is a gift. And it's a guys, guys, wait, wait,
1: wait, wait. I'm going to read how cards work. And he goes, oh, he's going to read how cards work. The added it's benefit, world, though, Rob, is that half the time it's a gift that you've given yourself from the past because you're writing down, you're looking at this card that you wrote the description for, or the name for. And you guys had all these in-jokes from three weeks before. Yeah. So it's it's like memory lane constantly.
0: Well, Rob, thank you for the gift that you have given us <laughs> that we get to open again and again 14 times. Uh, and, and the many <laughs> that you will get. And then you can play free play
2: after. Yeah. I do like to say that because there's a lot of haunts. You, there are, um, I used to have this number in my fingers, about a third to 40% of the haunts are impossible to see when you play <gasps> through. And even the ones you could play, you're going to see about a third of them. So when you get done, you've seen, you've played 14 haunts. Mm-hmm. There are three that only appear in the campaign. So you won't see them. So you
1: have seen 11 out of the 50 haunts oh. that are in the book. Oh, I didn't oh, know so that. Good. That's great. Well, I knew I was so thankful that it wasn't a throwaway. Like it's like, yeah, still there's still free play afterwards. You and, have that and option. And so at
2: free play, like I have seen 20, a little over 20% of the haunts. <laughs> and then you can just play Betrayal on your own particular set where you'll still draw the cards and yeah, have the memories. Still got that flavor. And still have everything. But now you'll have completely different haunts. And it's all in modern settings. That was the thing is we had to write it so that you're exploring an abandoned house. Sure. And then when you went to that haunt... It wasn't 1692 anymore. It's 2019 when you're playing now. And so you're in an abandoned house. And so that haunt has to somehow make sense. In the logistics you In the logistics. So and I, I think sometimes people are going to be like, uh, okay, that one's a reach. But, yep. but by and large, I'll go with it.
0: <laughs> but, but we're all suspending our disbelief because yeah. we love story. Yeah. And so thank you for bringing more story into the world. Yeah. The story that people love. This it brought great joy.
2: This is a dream come true. I mean I was talking about the road not traveled about comedy or anything but I get paid to come up with stories and then people interact with them and then I make a living at it. So it's very easy when I'm like head down and like this card doesn't work and this haunt doesn't – to forget that. And I'm I'm trying to – I'm okay with stepping back and go – Oh, I made a fun thing. And today was great for that. There were a lot of people here as I was recording various things who were coming up saying, I really like this game. And you've been saying nice things. And the rest of the, you know, like the people who are on the show were saying nice things. And I can go, oh, yeah, I made a good thing. That was Indeed. good.
0: Well, anytime you make a thing and you want to come by and show it to us, you are more than welcome. Course, Thank sure. you. It's
2: right around the corner for me. Since you love <laughs> Los
0: Angeles and our traffic so much. <laughs> All right. Well. Rob Davio, one of the greatest game creators of all time. And uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Rob Davio.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to spell that.
0: D-A-V-I-A-U. D-A-V-I-A-U.
2: You nailed it. I I'm, I'm <laughs> almost misspelled
0: it. it, even though I've written it so many times. It's just I don't say it out loud that much. Um. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to impart to our audience? Check out, obviously. Machi Koro Legacy. Machi Koro yeah. Legacy. Legacy.
2: Um, for restoration games, we have a game coming out called Unmatched, which is a cool fighting game of an- nearly anyone versus anyone. So uh, we have a, a set, which is Robin Hood versus Bigfoot. <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> and we have a different set, which is King Arthur versus Medusa versus Alice in Wonderland versus Sinbad the Sailor. Okay. We're partnering with Mondo. Oh, nice. Um, the art is amazing, and they have a lot of – um licenses they're going to get we've yeah. announced that we're next year that we're going to have a buffy set and i know
0: you did the original buffy game. i
2: did a little tiny bit on it mostly my friend bill did it um bruce lee is going to be out in the opening ones so you can do like bigfoot versus bruce lee or king arthur and versus unmatched. hell yeah unmatched it's just this little fighting miniatures casual game takes like 20 minutes to to do we're releasing that at gen con it's getting good buzz which makes me you could go. Oh, okay, we did it. You know, you can kind of awesome. relax. This should actually
1: come out right before Gen console It oh,
0: will. And I guess the answer f- for everyone is to make a Google alert of your name. <laughs>
1: yeah, and that's just probably follow what,
0: all the awesome things yeah, that you're I, always doing. There's always something new.
2: I did a lot of games over the past couple of years that got delayed for some reason. I have like seven things coming out between now and the end cool. of the year. It makes
0: it look like you've been working so much harder.
2: I know. It's just <laughs> All these things, like, how are you doing this? I'm like, well, I've been done that for two years. I've been done that one for a year and a half, and they all just sort of collided into this one spot. But Uh, rather than go through the whole list at this late hour. um, you can just go to my website, robdavio.com. follow me on Twitter. We will. Send me a tweet, I'll answer it.
0: See photos of amazing meals every once in a while, at least once a year.
2: That was a good meal last year. I might go back but not tweet it.
0: I'll join you. (laughs) All right. Well take care everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Victory Points. Make sure that you subscribe and tell your friends about us and rate us. That always helps. All right. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Becca. See you later. Bye. Bye.